All right. Hi. Good morning. Uh, my name is John. Good morning. My name is John Freitag. I'm here with Lauren Kirby. And Lauren, thank you so much for reaching out. Lauren was actually, um, well, Lauren, you can tell us, how did you find us? How did you find the hospice experience? Well, my uh, journey to find John's podcast was a little odd. Uh, I was starting to go to the gym for health reasons. And my health coach said, you know, you should really put some podcasts on and enjoy your workout a little better. And so most people would turn to music or you know, other stories. And my, my brain just went to, you know, what's out there about hospice. And uh, so a little odd to search for that, but I found John's podcast and, and listened to them and was fascinated uh, with the alignment that he and I share about demystifying hospice. And so uh, John and I have gotten together for our podcast today. Right. Lauren, Lauren's a hospice volunteer. So Lauren dedicates a great amount of her time to working with hospice patients. How did you get into uh, volunteering with hospice? Well, I think it was mainly through my mother's connection. Uh, when Hospice of Northern Virginia started here uh, in the late 70s, my mother was just all over it. And for some reason, she really uh, started supporting it and adopting the ideas and the principles, and she brought them to our family. And so being, I think, maybe 12 at the time or so, um, I just became aware of that. And later in life, when I was looking for a way to volunteer, that just came to mind for me as something I felt I might be able to do and felt sort of comfortable with. Um, and I also remember feeling not everybody can do this kind of work, but for some reason, I feel very comfortable. You have the personality for it. How old were you when you started, um, when you started working with hospice patients? So now you're making me do some math in my head. Um, so it was 1995. So thir 33. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, 33. You know, and I think um, you'd have to get to a point where you have enough personal experience yep. to feel mature enough and confident enough to step into that space. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I believe I was 33. Yeah. The hospice that you were working with, did they provide for all age, age ranges or is it just older people? What, what was the type of population? It was everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it was all ages, and um, my youngest was 15. Wow. Uh, she had a brain tumor, um, and then my, my oldest, you know, was in mid-90s, yep. high-90s. Yeah, that's got to be so tough with, you know, with the kids. Mm -hmm. um, the company that I work for, we don't, we don't work with, um, with children, and it would be, be so hard for me, you know? Um, it's especially hard when I work with, you know, people who are on the younger side in their 50s, 60s, you know, and those are probably some of the most difficult patients because I think their families and themselves are still having a hard time with grasping everything. Absolutely. And I think that's where sort of having that maturity comes in. Mm -hmm. And during my, um, my hospice, I guess you would call it intake. And they did a lot of uh, questioning about my history with death and dying and along with just loss. Right. And we process those things the same way. So whether it was an animal that had passed away that, you know, I grieved over and recovered from that or a family member or a friend. And um, I realized that I had a really long life uh, loss line yeah. and that that's probably why I was comfortable in that space because I'd been through it so many times mm -hmm. and definitely the younger ones are harder. I had two sons myself. But, you know, the mission for me was just always, regardless of who the person is, is that it, 
it's what I go to do supports my mission of a comfortable, pain-free, merciful, uh, loving uh, relationship and that we're going to go through this together. And I make that commitment to the family and to the patient mm -hmm. and I'm flexible. We'll make arrangements on when you would like me to come and for how long, but if something changes in your situation, you know, I can adjust as well if I'm able. Sure. And I think just by having that clear mission that we both agree to, no matter how young or old the patient is, or more importantly, how, how the family accepts or doesn't accept their passing, right. I still have to stay with that mission and bring everybody along with me on that. And then when it finally happens, you know, we went through it together and we're happy that it's over for the patient. Right. So as a hospice volunteer, what's the normal, if there is, if, if there even is a normal, what's the normal uh, day to day as a hospice volunteer? What do you, what do you do with the hospice patients? Mm -hmm. So when I first get there, I like to get a briefing from a family member, you know, in another room away from the patient and just sort of find out how they've been doing since the last time I visited. Has anything changed in the home or has anything changed with the patient's symptoms or signs? Uh, and then the, I'm there for respite care. So at that point, the caregiver kind of takes me into the room where the person is and says, you know, Lauren's here to visit again today. You know, I'll be back in a few hours and just sit down and get to an update from them. How are they feeling? What's on their mind today? Um, anything they feel has changed because in my mind, I'm trying to reconcile that with what the caregiver just told me. Right. And that gives me a, an idea of what their state of mind is on that day. Yeah. Comparing and, notes between um, the two. Right. Observe them. You know, what's happening with them? Are they sleeping more? Are they eating less? How's their interest uh, in things that I knew they cared about last time? Do they care about those things again? And um, in terms of activities, I really let the family drive what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, they often have specific things that they ask for that they believe would be good for the patient. And that may be a back rub or a walk around the block. Um, but the patient sometimes wants different things. They want you to read to them. Yeah. They want a back rub or a foot rub, or uh, they want to dance. Yeah. They want to sing. Uh, sometimes they ask me to tell them stories. And with my background and where I, I grew up, I have a million stories. So we're laughing at funny things and, you know, just there to help them give a, a, a good quality time together. Um, Are most people pretty receptive to taking volunteers in? Are most people pretty open to having, having you come talk with them and spend time with them? They usually are, um, depending on their state of mind, they may still be angry and bitter and they may not want to talk at all. You mean just yeah. angry with the circumstances? Absolutely. And it doesn't matter who's coming to visit. They're coming through a journey that's been a lot of medical intervention. There's a lot of discomfort. They're struggling with their situation. And if they don't want to talk, I just make sure that they're comfortable um, and then I'll, you know, putz around and do dishes or, you know, set the room up and reset supplies um, and then just be there more just to watch them and make sure they're safe until their family member comes back. Right. As a volunteer, you work mainly with the hospice patients, but do you also work with the, the family members of the hospice patient? I do. I do. Again, being there as often as I may be, it may be two or three times a week and it may be several hours at a time. I'm also bonding with the family. And so it's not unusual for them to also want to spend some time together. I will say that there's a fine line that, that has to be drawn that is, is 
a sensitive one for a volunteer, which is where do you cross the line and move into a space where you need to get in touch with a social worker. Right. And so only through experience can you really define that line and then have relationships with everybody else on the interdisciplinary hospice team to make sure that you know what that line is for that family and for what that social worker would want for their family. Because it's their patient too. Right. I could see some overlap there for sure. There is, there is, um, but I, there's so many rewards too that come from working with the family. Uh, you're bringing people together, you're facilitating communications. Mm -hmm. um, like everybody on the hospice team, one of your roles is to watch for uh, unfinished business and watch for signs of distress to see is there something that you can do to help to resolve that, to calm down the environment in the home, to stop you know, arguing or whatever. And so being really in tune to that um, and being able to facilitate different conversations, you can start to see things calm down. Um, one in particular I remember that was pretty difficult was uh, during the AIDS epidemic, my patient was the AIDS victim. Well, the family had never come to grips with the fact that he was homosexual. They'd never even dealt with that. Right. Yet now his boyfriend has given him AIDS and he's dying and the boyfriend is fine and wants to come visit. Mm -hmm. And that happens instantaneously. I mean, he's at the front door while I'm there. Right. And so I'm talking to him at the front door. I'm coming back to the family and you know, we resolve that if they weren't comfortable that they may go in a back room, but for this gentleman's quality of life, it would just be a wonderful gift to him at this time to let his, his uh, partner come in. Right. And so they did do that. Mm -hmm. And it was just really touching for me to have been part of that facilitation. Yeah, just to be able to intervene because you never know what would have happened if, if you weren't there and, uh, you know, able to, yeah. to work between the two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and things happen where you just don't have a moment to call a social worker and wait for someone to come. Right. You know, and so when that's possible, absolutely, you don't want to be betwixt in between because that's not my training. That's not mm -hmm. my skill set. Uh, but things do happen in the moment. And um, again, it's just part of building that relationship and acknowledging the fact that you are part of the larger team and that you debrief the social worker when you leave that home to make sure they understand, you know, that there was a little, a little rub there. Uh, it may surface again. And so it's a lot of just continuing the communications on the team and sharing, you know, what happened during my visit. Right. Um as a volunteer, do you help recruit other volunteers for the hospice? Have you guys, have you, um, have you been successful at getting volunteers? Because it's a lot to ask of a person to, to give their time and uh, sit with people in uncomfortable situations for, you know, without pay. Um, have you worked with getting, recruiting other volunteers? So one of my roles for many years was being on the Speakers Bureau. And part of the Speakers Bureau did have us, you know, out of the public and going to events and having a table with material. And definitely while we were there to talk about the patient and our services, we were always interested in anybody who wanted to come and learn more just to see if they were a good potential fit as a volunteer. And we did find many. Uh, and then th also through either the official speakers bureau or just through my own ties, I was often invited to speak at churches and senior centers and uh, just broadly spoke about hospice, you know, and, and just the message of don't fear hospice mm -hmm. uh, for your family member. 
but also take a look at yourself to see if maybe you have this, the, the skills and the personality and temperament that it may take to be a volunteer. And so there's no feedback loop. I don't know how many people actually responded to right. the call, uh, but I, I always tried to get more because it's, it's a very important role and volunteerism needs to stay in place. Um, but I will say too, it's important to know that I often felt like I got more out of the relationship than maybe the patient or the family because right. I was moved. I grew as, a, as an adult. I appreciated my life. I appreciated my children and our health uh, because of my experiences. So it really was a win-win. Yeah. And we spoke about that on the phone, actually, like how working with hospice patients really helps keep everything in perspective. Um, you know, if you have a bad day, you think you have a lot of, you know, problems going on in your life. And again, you're just thankful that, you know, everything, everyone's healthy, that um, it just really keeps everything in check for sure. Yeah. And I would add that for volunteers, we often have to show up to our jobs on Monday morning. Yep. And so, you know, if you've spent a Saturday or Sunday with a family and, you know, maybe things didn't go as smoothly as you might have liked, maybe the patient was having a bad day, maybe the patient turned for the worse. Uh, you have to still work through that and show up 100% on your own job the next day. Right. And so, you know, walking into my job, uh, I, I was in the mortgage business for 30 years yeah. and um, there's no comparison uh, between mm -hmm. high finance and Wall Street and you know what happened in this person's bedroom yesterday right yeah wow and on a personal level like how do you decompress when you have a rough situation when you you know you have a very stressful day volunteering with you know with hospice patients people who are dying um, mm -hmm. we're seeing people who are on maybe on the worst day of their life you know or some of the toughest days for sure um, how do you how do you decompress and keep everything in check well, there are times where I've just come and got in the car and drove around the block, you know, and had a good cry out of sight because there are things that are beyond anyone's control. I mean, this journey is unfolding for my patient, um, their family, their family dynamics, their life's history. It is what it is. And not everyone um, has lived a wonderful, wealthy life and there's been suffering in their life. And so sometimes, you know, it's just, get out of sight and have a good cry and then get myself together and then go home and hug my kids and hug my husband, you know? And at the end of the day, there's a saying in hospice, which is that you die the way that you lived. And if these people who are my patients had um, uncomfortable family situations, they lived in poverty, they were grumpy people and they weren't surrounded with a wide network of support system or friends, that's what their end is going to be. They're going to be grumpy family members with no friends coming and they're reaping what they sowed. And I have to know that that is also what it is. That's part of their journey. Right. And I have to just accept the fact that it is what it is. And I have to come back the next time to that family ready to serve again with a positive attitude and they're just to do what I can do in those moments that I'm there. But what I'm seeing in their death process is the culmination of decades and decades and decades of, of living. And it's yeah. not my place to step into that huge world. I'm right. just there to do what I can for that yeah. short time. 
I actually, um, so I, my background, I was a social worker in a, in a nursing, a couple of nursing homes. And when I first started, I had such a hard time wrapping my head around um, sometimes when people had estranged children. It's like, why wouldn't you come visit your, your parents, you know? Um, and then you just, you never know what happened. You never know what that relationship was, uh, what the strains were. There's got to, you know, sometimes there's a reason. I'm sure sometimes there isn't, but um, you never know what the background is, so. Sure. Yeah, and you, you see it with the patient too, because while it's the family dynamic, the patient may not understand that they may have been the cause for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And it's often times when they're with a volunteer where they start to look back and say, well, maybe so-and-so is not coming because, and I'll say, you know, I may say something like, well, tell me more about that. What happened that day? Mm -hmm. And I actually had one patient who's, uh, daughter was an older, you know, female who got a cat and the cat was just a mess. It was a vicious cat. And um, before my patient became severely ill, she actually took the cat to the pound and didn't talk to her daughter. Right. And so the daughter comes home, you know, where's my cat? And, you know, mom's telling all kinds of lies. And uh, within a short time, she falls, you know, ill. And um, the daughter the daughter was not coming to see mom and it was because of the darn cat. Yeah. yeah. And you just don't know. You yeah, just you don't, don't know, know what it's going to present when you get there and right. you have to be ready for surprises. Mm -hmm. um, I will say one of my fondest memories too, is just coming in to see a patient who lived alone and on the counter were jars. She couldn't open her jars and she'd been waiting for me to come to open the pickle jar, open the peanut butter, open the toothpaste. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just, it was a lot of fun to be there and serve in so many ways, in so many ways. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, just to be needed and being helpful. That's great. Simple um, things of life. Yeah. 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 And, um, and Lauren, you said you found me because I I'm, I'm, uh, have an effort to try to educate everyone on hospice. And you have similar, you know, similar um, effort, right? You're trying to educate everyone on hospice in your local area. What are you working on? So I've done a couple things um, during my time working. Um, I always did the health fair. They had a table for me and I would um, set up, you know, as part of the speakers bureau, I could do hospice uh, outreach as part of that. Um, I've also um, at work, people who know me, whether it's through other volunteering, um, I'm very active and have been for many years in the fire department. Uh, up until recently, I just retired from almost 20 years with the fire department. Um, so my network is sort of large right. and folks who know me always want to maybe reach out and, and talk about their situation. Um, and up until recently, um, you know, part of just getting older, I think, feeling like I need to tell my stories. Mm -hmm. um, I picked up a manuscript that I started many years ago and I'm trying to finish that and maybe do, uh, you know, publish a book from that. That's great. Um, so it's just a variety of things. Um, I have a granddaughter now, so I'd like her to know my stories. Right. And um, I just think it's important to help people understand what it is, but also that they do need volunteers. Yeah. And it's such a hard topic to even talk about. Mm -hmm. So that's great that you're able to do that and just like spread the message. So I really, really appreciate it. And if there's anything I can ever do to help you, you know, please, please let me know. Thank you so much for reaching out. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. And, um, if anyone you know would like to to reach you, uh, did you have any contact info you'd like to share? 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you my cell. They could text me. Um, it's 703-216-2085. Okay, great. Thanks, Lauren. Um, You're welcome. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks. You're very welcome.